why don't you introduce our, our I'm, guest? I'm going to okay. very well, short. I'm going to very shortly. Up? All right. Well, let's Good get Lord. let's get on it. Okay, I'll do my official introduction. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Clear your throat. Welcome back to the Canadian Gun Vault Behind the Vault Door. My name is Mark Morelli. I'll be your podcast host. Joining me today, uh, of course, is my co-host, Coach Nick. Thank Hello, so everybody. Thank you so much for being here. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, looks like we got an academic joining us, my good friend Danny. Danny's been kind enough to join us today, and we're really actually excited to hear your thoughts on various subjects that uh, we may touch upon. Danny, right? <laughs> okay, so hold on. Wait, you got, you're going gonna, to you're gonna have to hold the mic or at least point it up towards your face a little bit. There you go. That, there gets, you go. that gets you best sound quality. I know. See, you're not used to doing this, are you, with the mic? <laughs> no. In fact, so, it is so, uh, my impulse is to eat something right now. So, really? Well, yeah. we're going to we're gonna make this a short one because I know this isn't going to be your last podcast, but I'm really excited to have you on the show, and I'll tell you why. Uh, for everybody listening, Danny is, uh, I mean, what, what, what would have been your uh, official title before? Like, what would you have been? Just, oh. You don't have to say where you were at. Just, what were you, a university it, it, professor? At, at school, well, no, 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 no. no. I, 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 uh, uh, I'd finished my master's, and yeah. it was all but dissertation. Mm-hmm. I'd finished my PhD courses. Yeah. Uh, I'd written my dissertation, but I hadn't uh, submitted it, and I quit. Yeah. Uh, part of the reason for it was uh, that I learned after 15 years at the university that there would never be a tenured position available to me, and uh, which means that I would had to have worked as a uh, contract lecturer. Mm-hmm. And the uh, compensation for uh, the contract people, uh, you know, was was really an insult. Hey, really? You, you, yeah, I, you would go to school for 15 years to make $20,000 a year. It's, oh, it's not, no. Not, uh, not a reasonable. No, that's not, that's not. I tell you, if I had that money in my pocket, I'd pay to listen to you for an hour oh, for well, that much. You because so I, thank you. you. Know, that's I, very I, kind we, of you. We know we've had some great conversations, yeah. you and I, and, and one of the things that I find terrifically fascinating about you and something that I think will interest our listeners, at least, you know, very much so. I, I was fascinated by it. Is you've actually seen how the left operates? Well, I was. I was. Edu- <laughs> I, was I was. I guess you would say I was ed- educated to be a leftist. Yeah. Uh, in the discipline that I, I had more than one major over uh, the few years I was a, an undergraduate. I did a, a, a science or mm-hmm. like sociology mm-hmm. uh, BA, and then I did a philosophy. Uh, after that, and then I did a, a, a master's in sociology. Uh, most of the students in sociology, which I should say is a discipline that no longer exists, it's gone. Uh, it's been transformed into some, uh, I, I don't know, literary criticism or whatever, some, some nonsense like that. Uh, but I had the, uh, the opportunity uh, to uh, learn about statistics and the use of statistics in studying society. And I availed myself of, of that education. Most people did not. They, they became uh, Marxists, mm-hmm. uh, mainly. Um, so I hung out with these people for many, many years. Mm-hmm. I had uh, quite a few interesting uh, meetings with uh the leaders, the so-called leaders of the leftist movement. And in those days, uh, there weren't that many of them. Uh, hardcore 
Marxists and Leninists and Stalinists, and they were they people really didn't identify themselves because, as such, because uh, uh, the politics at the time, yeah, uh, you know. Hush, hush. They understood that they would not be looked upon favorably. Yeah. This this has changed though, and well, quite dramatic. And, and, and I want to I want to I want to touch uh, Coach Nick. You you look like you had something. Well, I was going to say I think another unique perspective that Dan Dan brings to a lot of the topics that we could speak of mm-hmm. is his upbringing in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. You know, the cultural, the cultural what, are you do, what are you doing here, man? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I mean, I, lo- I love my country, but I'll tell you, if I, like, a great comparison in terms of yeah. culture and, so- yeah. and, and just socialization, uh, upbringing compared yeah. to there to here. Like, yeah. that's great. Well, this is going to be an introductory. Uh, yeah, I was born in the United States. And in in what uh, I would describe as a functionally segregated town, yeah. I'm old enough uh, that uh, I was alive uh, before uh, the uh, civil rights movement took hold. So um, the the town I lived in uh, was Topeka, Kansas, and the the uh, Supreme Court case Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, was the case landmark uh, that led to the uh, forced integration of schools. Mm-hmm. And so, he, but but for me, the, the the experience of living there was odd because I wasn't uh, the child of native Kansans. Mm-hmm. My both of my parents were born in Alberta. Uh, my father was in Kansas as a physician, as a doctor, doing a, a, a training, a specialty in hospital psychiatry, and also uh, training, being trained as a psychoanalyst. So he associated, and as a consequence, our family associated with other families of uh, people from all over the world. I remember, uh, you know, people from Japan. Uh, The one that stands out most was the uh, gal from India who showed up at our front door wearing a a bright gold and red sari, which was, you know, uh, dazzling. Uh, So we were not like the native population. We were, were, I guess you would say, uh, fairly liberal in the classical sense Mm -hmm. of what liberal means, uh, which is live and let live, freedom. Um, I never heard my mother ever speak uh, about black people, ever, never. My father used to bring the orderlies from the psychiatric hospital where he was training home, and I did notice, though at the time I wasn't entirely sure what the big deal was, the neighbors noticed that they were coming to our home as well. Uh, Near where I lived was uh, a, a bridge that went over a creek and all through my childhood was uh, the bridge, uh, the roadbed of the bridge was, was gone, and there were uh, boards crossing it off, road closed, uh, and there were these smudge pots, which are kerosene lamps that would they'd come and light at night. Uh, so I had the idea that there was some kind of work going on there as a child. Uh, after having moved away and come back, they had replaced these little smudge pots with electronic blinking lights, and it finally occurred to me, now I think I would have been 25 years of age, what's going on here? Yeah. Oh, but don't you know, that's the black side of town on the other side of the creek. They literally tore up the roadbed to keep blacks from going into the white neighborhood. So I know a little bit about 
racism. Wow. Wow. So uh, I should also mention that uh, the school I went to, there was not a single black student. Mm-hmm. I personally was the darkest kid there. Really? Yes. And uh, at this point in the summer, I tan pretty pretty well. So if I don't look black, at least I look foreign, possibly Mexican or whatever. Uh, so I had experiences as a child in my school that I didn't really understand what it was. But now, in hindsight, I can see that I was being... Uh, treated in a prejudicial manner. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any misgivings over it. I survived well mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. And I know the people who uh, uh, abused me are dead. Mm-hmm. And there's always a great satisfaction knowing that your persecutors died before you did. So, uh, or you will. So, uh, Brown versus the Board of, Edu- uh, uh, Board of Education of yeah. Topeka led to integration, not while I was there. It, it, the, the for, they forced it the year after I left, I believe, or shortly thereafter. And I went back, as I say, years later, and I talked to my friends, and I asked them, what high school did you go to? Uh, and they replied, Washburn Rural. And I thought, rural? What do you mean, rural? Well, their parents, in order to get him into a school where there were no black students, bought a farm outside of city limits so they would be exempt from the busing order, built a school, and bused all their kids to that school. So, yeah, it was a functionally segregated town. I certainly know what racism looks like, even though I didn't realize as a very young child that I was living on the white side of town and, you know, had what whatever privileges... And, I, and I, 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 when I say the word privilege, I think, you know, got to be kidding me. What privileges I had, I don't, re- I don't regard anything that I had as a privilege. Uh, anyhow, so, you know, I, I look at what's going on now in the United States, and I'm really quite perplexed because uh, things have changed very, very dramatically over the years. The town I came from is not even recognizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that there are older people who still have attitudes towards blacks. Uh, even as a child, I heard the N-word probably every day. Uh, I, I really didn't know who these people were talking about. I was like, well, you know, the, like, it's like saying the boogeyman, you know, it's, yeah. it, it made no sense to me. Uh, I would go down there now, and I have been down many times, and I, I don't see any of that. It's no longer, if it's there, it's no longer overt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it seems to me that the world really well and truly has changed. Uh, systematic racism, I think, is no longer exists. Uh, there are racists. Of course there are. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, and uh, the problem is, is that, you know, what, what are you going to do? You can't force people to stop thinking and believing what they think and believe. Uh, you can oversee their work if they're in the government to make sure that whatever they think doesn't become part of the decisions they make in their job. And I think the government's done a pretty good job. Uh, their government has done a pretty good job of it. Their problem isn't racism anymore. It's it's something quite different. Yeah. And and you know what? Something, something quite different is uh, what we're ultimately going to get to. Uh, I know that you've had 
your exposure to the left. Uh, I personally, uh, I knew the minute I began having uh, some dialogue with you about this subject that you were going to become the secret weapon. You're almost oh. like you're almost like a deprogrammed cult member that, yeah. we, that we've we've brought out doing of, an expose uh, out, of, out yeah out of hiding because I mean you know you know exactly what's going on. Uh, well, I do. You, I, yeah, I, I do. I, yeah. I, I, I won't say I've been deprogrammed because I was really always kind of skeptical. Yes. I, I, as a, when I lived in the United States, when I, I was born there, of course, but I always, because of my parents, uh, I always felt like a bit of an outsider. Uh, yeah, I had friends, uh, but their parents were also psychiatrists and they were also working at the hospital. Uh, and I had friends whose, whose parents were not, were not involved in any of that, but I always felt like an outsider. So I, I, I didn't require much in the way of deprogramming. Mm -hmm. the, uh, certainly when I started to learn uh, about Marxism, and I read about Marxism probably, oh, I would have read that before I was 15. Yeah, that I early. Have, I, yeah, I would have read it. Um, he's a re he's a reader, dude. Yeah, like, I've, yeah, I've been a reader all my life. I've I've uh, I did tell you the story about uh, when I was at school. The teacher one year would if I, uh, punish you if you did something bad in class by making you sit in at recess and copy out the dictionary uh, longhand. And by the end of the year, I had a, my own little handwritten dictionary. <laughs> so uh, I, I actually Season tickets for the principal's yeah, office. There you go. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed doing it, and and uh, so by the time I was in sixth grade, I probably had a vocabulary of a university student, which got me in a lot of trouble because I'd I'd meet people and talk with them, and they thought I was a lot older than I really was, and that led to some unfortunate things. But there you well, are. you know, I, I, did you like guns back then? Uh, well, I was raised with guns. The, yeah. the uh, uh, boy across the street, his grandfather came back from the war. He was a colonel or some or a gent. He yeah. was, was a, a, a high officer. Uh, he brought back two foot lockers of war souvenirs, nice. which were uh, guns. And when we played cowboys and Indians and cops and robbers, we'd go over and get the guns out of the box and uh, carry them around. America. Jeez. Yeah. America. So, so I knew Things what a Luger, I knew what a Luger was. That's hardcore yeah. cops and yeah. robbers, boy. <laughs> uh, I, my, I really did want, in the worst way, I wanted a single action, you know, Colt, uh, you know, six shooter. But we had to make do with Lugers and Makarovs. And oh, you like poor that. bastard! Yeah, I think that's <laughs> how they play. They play cops and robbers now in the North End. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just imagining him being raised by a wild pack of Americans and doing yeah. quite well because he, he seems to enjoy. Oh, out in rural. Oh no, we. Kansas. I, I, loved, I actually, I learned how to shoot a, a gun. I, you know, I've been thinking about this, Mark. I, I really don't remember. I was that young. Uh, at the National Guard Armory, it was part of a Cub Scout uh, uh, unit that we were doing. Uh, so we went and we shot 22s in an indoor range. Yeah. I remember the, 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 and it was a drill sergeant, uh, smacking me on the head when I turned to say something to him while I had a loaded rifle and he said, don't you ever do that. Yeah. Uh, you have to unload, uh, put the gun down and then turn to talk. You don't ever... You don't ever turn on with a loaded gun. Instant discipline. Yeah. So I learned. No. Yeah. No, I learned safety and all that uh, very early on. Now, did your um, high school? I, I think I might know the answer. Your high school have a shooting range in it? Uh, you know what? It probably did. But I I moved to Canada before I went to high school. Okay. I was still in junior high. Okay. Um, I I I shot trap. Uh, skeet wasn't a game that was was uh, uh, known or big. Uh, I my the first shotgun I ever fired was a, a ten gauge. 
uh, rabbit, rabbit hunting. Which is, Ten you know, was there anything left? Was there the anything left? Well, I didn't hit any rabbits. So I, I, oh, yeah. no, you hit the if, rabbit. You just yeah. didn't know you hit the rabbit. <laughs> if I, yeah, if you had, it would just be a smear of, of blood on the... It was in the winter. Uh, and I know the first time I fired it, it, it kicked me on my, my, my behind. No and everybody kidding. laughed and thought that was all funny. I still have a sore shoulder for that. Uh, but, no, I was raised with guns. I never really thought anything about it. And when I came to Canada, yeah. I was surprised that no one had guns and so um, were you out west when you came up here no, no i was from from kansas to ontario to ontario okay yeah uh, and I, I never really even knew my parents had an attitude towards guns until years and years later uh i decided uh when i had a health problem and i had a bucket list and i wanted to do all the things that you know i wanted to do and one of them was shooting uh and i remember my mother saying but but we never had guns mm. and i said to her but i was raised in kansas did you not know we were playing with guns did you did it ever occur to you uh so she was quite perplexed by it her her <laughs> attitude was guns are for killing people yeah and um i thought that was Preposterous. Well, you know, and, and, and this will bring me to uh, another topic. You know, like, I mean, your uh, your exposure to the left <clears throat> would certainly make you privy to to certain things. I, I've always known that this whole push uh, for gun control here in Canada is not about public safety. It's about something altogether different. Well, I, I would say that's quite true. And yeah. certainly leftists make no secret of the fact that in order to get political power, you have to have guns. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just say, in order to get and keep political power, you have to have guns. So uh, the, their notion of gun control and taking guns out of the hands of ordinary people has nothing to do with safety at all. It's to disarm your enemy. And there's no secret to that. Certainly, uh, People who have no exposure to firearms and probably no exposure to what the left is all about can be fooled into thinking that the discussion is about public safety. Uh, you know, if there were no guns, people wouldn't be shooting each other. Um, and it, no, it's never been an issue of safety. Uh, they know it's not. And mm -hmm. if you talk to them, you know, they'll say, don't waste my time. I don't, you know, this is BS. Uh, gun control has everything to do with disarming your who who those who will yet be your enemy and oppose you well there's there's lots of examples quite significant famous sure. examples down through history where yes. that was kind of top of the list when they started first one of the first things they were doing disarm yeah. the population now you control the population. well people people get dismissed as conspiracy theorists like i mean it wasn't that long ago that people were chanting that we're not trying to take your guns and of course you know it isn't long before, you know, the list of banned items begins to grow and you begin to question whether or not there's you know, any merit to it at all. Like, I mean, like, how could anybody believe that, you know, uh, banning rocket launchers and tow missiles and this list of 1,500 guns has anything to do with public safety? Yeah. It w especially when, you know, the empirical data points very clearly to, you know, illegal guns being used in these crimes. And so, like, I mean, but the left, the left is completely aware that it's that it's a sham. It's yeah. it's completely it's completely bogus, and it's it's meant to shift focus. Yeah, I think anybody now there are leftist followers who buy into this sort of thing and, sure. they, and, and you can tell the difference between one and the other pretty quickly uh, 
nevertheless, n neither those who uh, are knowledgeable and those who are just gullible followers, neither of them are going to uh, allow a discussion of it. They're not interested in a, in a discussion. And, well, they're not uh, interested because they, they don't they can't refute the facts. Well, they don't. They, they come up. Yeah, but those they they there's this thing. Yeah, but those are just facts. <laughs> and the trouble is that they they come to the the debate, and we there is no debate. But they come to the possibility of a debate with the idea that what they know, what they think, is true, and what you know and what you think is false. Uh, nothing you can say has regardless any, any, of. Yeah. Crime so, stats or anything else. Yeah, they, you know, this is all the product of capitalism, and if you get rid of capitalism, the whole, all of it is going to go away. We're going to live in a paradise, and no, oh, yeah, utopia about automatically yeah, kicks in. Yeah. So, um, we'll see you at Tractor Factory number eighty-two. Exactly. Well, yeah, they won't be making tractors, but they'll well, call it a tractor factory. For they'll those be, of you who yeah. studied the Communist Manifesto, <laughs> they'll be making pedal tricycles or something yeah so well you know like i, I watched that debate between <clears throat> tracy wilson and uh i watched it the, too. yeah i the saw new it. zealand anti-gun uh queen yeah and she's uh, a professor up there too yeah but yeah. she but, but she, she's the head of the anti-gun coalition yeah, whatever but, it's called well you know she came right she came out right ahead of it and uh she she teed off by saying we're not going to get anywhere by examining the facts by examining yeah <laughs> and i thought you just i thought i thought you, wow like five five minutes in it's like okay are we done now? Yeah. Like, like, you, like, no, she didn't. She didn't even. Well, that was part of her opening remarks. I did. Like, I saw yeah, it. it was crazy. So, how, how do you go on after that? We're going to govern based on emotion? Uh, like, well, what the hell is they, that? They, man they managed to somehow convince people that it's the way to go. And I mean, I I, I I look at what the left does, uh, and, and what certainly what the Liberal Party in Canada here is doing. You know, mirroring what's occurred out there in New Zealand. And uh, oh, you know, most assuredly. yeah, and I'm, I'm made very nervous. I like, I mean, what what is the end game? You know, is is something that <clears throat> I think a lot of people are uh, starting to really uh, honestly ask themselves some questions well, about. You know, the most recent events in the United States are fairly instructive. You know, uh, unfortunately, people have very short memories, so they're not likely to remember one issue uh, longer than a. I guess a few months, uh, but you have uh, you have a, a group of people who are using uh, a, a, a well-developed method of, um, un of to undermine uh, the um, so-called system in the United States. They every every event that w would enable them to whip up. Uh, an emotional response from a crowd, like, like, say for example, a mass shooting, and they're immediately on it. It doesn't matter what any of the facts are. They, 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 they jump on it and try to use it to political advantage to try to pass gun legislation before the police have even finished investigating what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, like, and then there's these the riots, and you know people are. Uh, taking over police stations, and there is basically no law and order. So here you have, from one event to the next, it's quite obvious, uh, if they take your guns from you, you have no way to protect yourself. They're talking about getting rid of the bloody police. 
Well, they, now, the, Minnesota, they voted for it. Yes, to, well, I, to, to get to disband the police force. Yeah, I, I assure you, they have no intention of getting rid of the police. They, they want to get rid of the police that exist now. These are people who have been raised in uh, a culture where people have, you know, some sense of of uh, civil rights, uh, the Constitution, that is to say, constitutional rights. Uh, and and enforcing uh, the laws of the land. Well, unfortunately, left wants to get rid of all these laws, and they want to. And, and what they need to do is they have to encourage uh, the police to exit the scene, get rid of them. They'll quit, demoralize them, make it so that you'd have to be out of your mind to be a policeman because if you ever hurt anybody, they'll sue you. Silly. Well, the, last night the the Minnesota City Council voted. Yeah. To get rid of the police or replace it with safety, not clans, but safety groups or safety safety patrols or something like yeah. that. Like, okay, you have fun with that. Let us know how that works out. On a, on a micro level, and, and this is something that I saw coming years ago, and I, I watched the phenomenon evolve before my very eyes. I saw the left, you know, permeating policing at the highest levels, you know, and... You could see a, a shift in thinking. You could see, oh, yeah. you know, the the um, uh, adoption of, of certain policy. You could see the advancement of the careers uh, and promotion of people with the same mindset. Yes. You could see you could see the careful selection of people that would toe the line. I would go so far as to say that I watched a new chief come in. And his very first move was to offer the oldest and most senior officers a package that they couldn't turn down. And they left. And, 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 and I remember looking at that move and all I could see was him eliminating people that might be strong enough. That was enough the start to, of his agenda. The, it was the start of an agenda. And I, and I could see it very clearly. He was eliminating the opposition and he was eliminating people that were very deeply entrenched in their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And he was replacing them with hand-selected. Yes, men. Yes, men. Yeah. And is, yes, women. Yeah, and this happened. This yes, happens. people. Yeah. Well, it's what happened with in the United States with the FBI. They offered, uh, uh, well, they got rid of the old guard and brought yeah. in new. Uh, the way they did it was they had people out in the, well, we, we don't have time to discuss all these particulars, but mm. they, they gave incentives. Yes. Uh, disincentives, more like it, and people left. They didn't want to adjust job. They wanted to work out in the field, and, and uh, they slowly but surely uh, brought their own people in. Um, and... Uh, it's really, it's really very unfortunate because, quite far from you know, to defunding, uh, when the left have control, they will spend more money on police than they will probably on anything else other than paying their own salaries and possibly health care. But it'll on the line item for the budget for the for the country. Uh, the, no, the the, and the police will be uh, controlled rather differently. Uh, it'll be a huge expense, and they'll have equipment that uh, the present police do not have. I know that 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 uh, Google says that they're not going to sell facial recognition uh, uh, software to the police. Yes, they will. How do you think they developed in the first place? They've been working with the Chinese government. They're very good at uh, at uh, uh, you know doing these kinds of surveillance. Um, and and uh, and in fact, in my opinion, 
because the American government, it's illegal for them to do this, uh, these private corporations like Google uh, and others have been developing this and by, they're working on uh, it's by proxy. Mm -hmm. In other words, they're offering the service to the government. Mm -hmm. And you'll, you'll know during the, the COVID uh, crisis, they say, well, we can help you to track people, you know, COVID tracking. Um, no, and, and it, this is, uh, is a very serious problem. The, the, the idea of defunding uh, police is preposterous, and they know it is. They just want to get rid of the, the, the wrong kind of police so they can get the right kind. And, and the, yes, the world will forever be changed. And, and you know, uh, I, I can't help but draw another comparison again. I always, I always said that the police were kind of a proving ground and a place they needed to start. Uh, certainly if you have what should be the uh, leaders of communities, you know, and, and the uh, examples, you know, of, of police and, and the role models that they should, you know, kind of be for, you know, young people out there in, in policing. <clears throat> when they introduced GPS to the cars, uh, there was a pushback against that in policing, you know, because there were people that believed that it would be used uh, against police. And now you couldn't sleep behind four tinos all the time. <laughs> you know what? Well, that you know what? that wasn't that wasn't the case. I hustled and I did my fair share. Is of he at Tim Hortons again? Let's see where he's at. Yeah, Holy no, 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 no. But, but, well, but, there was, but it wasn't it wasn't where they were as much as it was how fast they were moving and you know things like of that nature in terms of how they might be disciplined. And of course, a, a deal a deal was struck with the, the the prior chief. No, they will it will never be used for that purposes. It's going to be used to promote. They were promoting it as a, an officer safety issue, which always escaped me because I thought, you know what, you get out of your car, you start running after a suspect. It's really important that, you know, you be able to find that officer that might be struggling in an alley, you know, fighting for his life. But the uh, GPS was connected to the car and not to your portable radio. So, I mean, the minute you jump out of your car and take off after somebody, you might catch up to him a block away, you know, a few turns down an alley. And I mean, finding you can be a real chore. Uh, we, we knew that something was up when they were introducing this technology. And of course, when the new chief came in and the new philosophies came with him, uh, he immediately said that deal is off, yeah. right? They're, they're, they will be used for disciplinary purposes. And so to, to put forward an item and to suggest that it's one thing and then to quickly, uh, you know, switch over and make the transition to something else is something I see the left doing quite often. You know, it's like a shell game. It's like, well, no, 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 we're going to be doing this, you know, to, to, in the interest of public safety. And then, of course, it becomes something altogether different. I, I see a lot of, you know, dishonesty. You know, well, coming from the left. It's, it's totally disingenuous. Yeah. Uh, certainly the notion that they have this idea that, you know, the, the, the government and the agents of government, in this case the police, uh, they're very powerful and that their power should be limited. Mm -hmm. And actually that's probably a, a fairly sound notion. The, the, the American Constitution is just that. It's a restraint on government. Mm -hmm. uh, and... You know, we know we know that if someone is given a measure of power, and the police have immense power, that there should be some restraint on it. Absolutely. Uh, but they're they're using this notion of restraint, uh, what I in a, in a manner that I would call punitive. It's totally punitive, uh, and they're demoralizing uh, the people who are working as police. Um, you know, if you draw your weapon, you're going to spend the rest of the day writing reports. It doesn't matter what for. Uh, and ordinary people have no idea of the life and the day of a police officer. They don't know. They haven't a clue. I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, who I won't name, 
but it, 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 she's my my daughter. Could <laughs> <laughs> you throw under the wheel of the bus? She goes. Under the bus she goes. Who says to me, uh, "Well, you know, the guy's running away. Why don't you just shoot him in the leg?" After I stopped laughing, I said, "Well, <laughs> I mean, you're a shooter. You shoot guns. Do you not know how difficult it is to actually aim and shoot a guy who's running in I the leg?" I was going to say, it's not they're standing still. Yeah. And uh, not even, you know. Not even in cowboy movies were that were they that uh, good. Well, they'd shoot them off the horses yeah. like with one and, shot and, every time, and yeah, without even looking at them. So yeah. the uh, uh, no, it 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 and and you know the, the the whole notion is, you know, you're you you, sh- you sh- I'm I'm talking to a, here a police officer, yeah. but you shoot the body mass. You'd be a stupid bigger to do target, otherwise. but you shoot something yeah. in the leg and they have a gun, they can still shoot you. Exactly. So um, in any case. Uh, she has no idea what it is to be a policeman and and, and what uh, what it's like to be in a life-threatening situation. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I wish more people understood how dynamic and how fast lethal encounters occur. And 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 over the years, yeah. believe me, I had my fair share of people saying, you know, why didn't that cop shoot him in the leg? Just like you you said. Yeah. And I mean, it, there's this mis, mis, misconception, you know, based on you know the mythology of cinema that it's possible to do that anybody that's ever stood with a handgun at a at a target uh, you know 10 feet away will tell you that it's it's a difficult it's difficult to shoot a handgun and i'm, not, and I'm, I'm totally incapable of hitting a target at 15 yards i'm gonna yeah. uh, i'm gonna up you one oh, not only should you shoot him in the leg as he's running yeah. turn your handgun sideways, sideways absolutely <laughs> You know, there, there's so many things about policing and about those types of situations that people find uh, difficult to wrap their minds around. Uh, the decision-making that you have to do as a police officer, you know, to identify a threat, to uh, look beyond your target, uh, to uh, to know your fields of fire, to uh, to understand, you know, now, you know, the political atmosphere surrounding, you know, the uh, the end result of a lethal encounter involving police. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. It's not it's not report writing. You're you're looking. You could be at the end of a 10-hour, you know. 12-hour shift, you could be right at the end of that thing and get involved in a shooting and, and be stuck for another 12 to 14 hours yeah, while you, you are examined carefully. It's not just the paper. The actual event, yes. the shooting, like most most police officers that I've met in my lifetime have never shot ever. Yeah. They've never shot anybody, much less, and they've never, never even pulled their gun. Yeah. So the actual event is for them... I think a life-changing thing. It's traumatic. You know, hurting hurting somebody else is traumatic. Mm-hmm. Killing them is is traumatic in the extreme. Life-changing. Yeah, and and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. When you kill another person, mm-hmm. you're going against probably the most deeply ingrained notion that that you possess, which is thou shalt not kill. Yes, yeah. it's a very unnatural. So, it's a very unnatural. Uh, and you're act. an agent of the government, so. You put you're put in a very very difficult spot. Um, I know that academics they've they've studied police endlessly, uh, and the the, the the things they produce the reports they produce are really very interesting, and they center on differentials in power between the police and the and and their clients, the people they supposedly serve, um, and. They'll talk about uh, the the police culture, mm-hmm. and it, it's a, a very uh, the take on it is very negative, mm-hmm. and it's regarded as uh, sinister. Um, and then on the other side of the equation, when they're studying uh, populations that the police are, you know, like with ghettos and whatnot, it, it the people are looked upon strictly as victims, mm-hmm. and nothing else. So 
academia produces uh, an extremely biased. I mean, it's it's just year after year after year, uh, and it's not until, uh, for me, anyways, it wasn't until uh, Giuliani came along in New York and undertook a, a program. I think they referred to it Broken Windows. Uh, that I ever saw people actually studying this problem in a, in a, a scientific way, a, 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 you know, using statistics. He was talking about predicting where the crime was going to occur by looking at past history. And he would send officers to those locations, and sure enough, you know, and, and then of course what would happen is that the crime would relocate someplace else. And they would use their t statistics to stay on top of it. It's, it was to totally brilliant. Crime, crime analysts and yeah. uh, crime managers yeah. uh, certainly is a, a newer phenomenon yeah. in policing, but it's something that's being utilized here in Canada. I, uh, you know, I've certainly had my exposures to it, and uh, there's there's a lot of good that can come from. Absolutely. Yeah. The trouble is, you run into uh, political activists and and politicians who. Uh, for whatever reason, are going to uh, uh, go along with them, mm -hmm. is uh, you're going to have uh, this notion that no matter what the police do, they're doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, they represent, uh, you know, capitalism. Why, why I mean, are you targeting that section of the city or that population? Well, yeah. because well, we're there all the time, so... It is fairly well understood that it, wherever you put police, there will be crime. <laughs> the statistics will go up. You know, it's like they... Everybody breaks breaks the law. I, I I venture to say that in a given day, I probably break the law. I don't know a dozen or so times, maybe even more. If it just if we're talking strictly traffic laws, mm -hmm. uh, do I come a full, to a full and complete stop at a stop sign? Not very often. And I consider myself, you know, I'm an old guy and I drive carefully. Uh, I consider myself pretty good by that measure. Uh, going over the speed limit. Uh, I mean, if you know, it depends. It depends. I think a lot of the things. When we talk about, uh, you know, bias in policing, got to remember the police are being directed by someone else, and they're politicians, and those those politicians are directing them where to go and what to do, um, and the politicians, of course, behave like they're totally hands off when anything goes wrong, and it's all the fault of the police on the scene. Well, no, it's not. You, you need to know how police op uh, 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 departments operate, and ordinary people do not. So, you know, the the idea that well, you're sending all these police into the ghettos, and and they're you know they're they're busting all these people, and they could let them go. They might otherwise let them go. Uh, no, these were policy decisions made made by politicians, and they're doing what they're told to do. Um, it happens that some kinds of crime are more prevalent in poor, and I'm not talking about racial, but poor communities. Uh, and these are problems that probably cannot be solved with policing, but cannot be ignored. Mm -hmm. You know, someone has to, someone has to try and at least tamp it down. Uh, and, you know, the, the political solutions like, well, you know, if everybody were equal, crime would go away. No. I, I, you know, sociology tells you there, is, there are some things that are universal. Every society, for example, has a religion. They have a, a psychology of some sort. There are universals. Every society has them. And one of the things that you learn is 
the notion of deviance, people who are yeah. not, not like anybody, everybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, the differentiation between deviance as criminality, right, uh, between, say, for example, deviance and criminality, you know, this is, that's, a, that's a legal thing, a political thing, you decide. Uh, you know, if being a schizophrenic is illegal, then you're going to have some guy talking incoherently on the street, and you're going to arrest him and put him in jail. Uh, we don't do that anymore. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, there, there's always going to be lawbreakers, no matter how hard you try. Uh, Nothing's to, 100%. You, no, you can't eradicate it. It's impossible. Uh, it's like there, if you look at, you know, these statistics uh, on crime over history, they're very stable. Uh, yeah, they go up and down a few points, but they're very stable. And there are always going to be people who do not want to participate in society. They're, they're going to want to uh, steal, even though a life is, as, you know, in a life, the, the, the life that they will lead as a criminal is much harder than the life of a person who goes out and earns an honest living. You know, they always have to look over their shoulder. You know, there's, they, I mean, I'm telling you, it's a stressful and not very lucrative way of making a living, but there are people who are going to do this for whatever reason. There are people who are going to live in tents under bridges, whether it's a, a psychiatric problem or not. There are people who are not going to participate, and you can't, well, you can get rid of them. The, the, the Marxist way of changing uh, behavior is you kill the people and get rid of them. The behavior is cured. Uh, and that's it's called and genocide, I, though, isn't it? Well, genocide is, is, has to do with a group, uh, an entire group of people. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's just, um, as far as a Marxist is concerned, it's an acceptable way of changing society. And I'm starting to see more people coming right out and claiming to be Marxists now. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of rumblings coming out of the U.S. People are starting to be a lot more vocal, and this brings us back to the beginning of a broadcast where you said, you know, there was a time when people had to... Uh, <clears throat> conceal their true intentions and or the nature of their beliefs and that's that seems to be changing and well, it's uh, at an alarming yeah. rate in my opinion yeah I think if you were if you were in politics you definitely had to conceal uh, if you were a Marxist or a socialist you had to conceal that like you say we're not trying to take away your guns well they're not actually saying we're, we're here to take your guns yeah um, and uh, you have to differentiate between the people who are there's lots of groups represented here. There, there are those who are academics, uh, who are educated, uh, who, you know, have been trained in, so to speak, in the ideology. And then there are followers who've never read Marx, probably never will. Uh, they've been captured by uh, a, an appeal made upon them uh, such that they believe their membership in this group makes them a good person. And, it's, and they'll get free it's stuff. That <laughs> well, free, free stuff is pretty compelling, but the, uh, yeah. but no, the, 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 I think the most powerful thing uh, is that people who join this group feel that they're, that being part of this group makes them a good person. Um, they call themselves liberals or Democrats or whatever it may be because they feel, it, it, they think it makes them a good person. They're virtuous. Virtuous. And so, um, they, because many of them were not even alive when uh, the Iron Curtain fell, they know nothing about Marxism, Marxism and as I say, they've never read it. Um, I'm one of the very few people I know that's read it. 
uh, and yeah, uh, what I, if you're you saw, one psych or soch. Yeah, in my in my library are I, I, a lot of the books by Marx are gone because I've lent them out and people pinched them and never returned them. But you know, I I've read virtually so, so, everything that's ever been printed. I've got Stalin, I've got Trotsky, I've got uh, Lenin, I've got Mao. I've read all these things. Uh, tedious as it is, uh, I don't think Stalin really ever, ever actually wrote anything himself. But he's got his name on a few pieces. Yeah. Is there is there is there any world you could see in uh, in the future where where their version of the utopia could actually work? Because I, I mean, they're, they all, they're always claiming that you know that's not true socialism. I mean, when you hear the left making their arguments, I mean. Let's ignore all the facts, statistics, and evidence, and none of it makes sense to anybody that is exercising any degree of, you know, uh, common sense, it seems. But, like, I mean, uh, is there is there any world where it could work in without, you know, mass genocide? Because, I mean, ultimately, the roads seem to lead down that path. Historically, that's the way it's always been, uh, you know, when you look at... Yeah, it seems like at some point, socialism socialism will turn into, has to turn into con- the haves and the haves-nots. It, it, it degenerates into that. You know, and I and I look at I look at like the defunding the police. I mean, like I, when I when I hear them talk about defunding the police uh, amidst you know riots in the U.S. I mean, to to your average Joe, that would seem to make no sense whatsoever. But I mean, if they start to pull resources away from the police, things are just going to get worse. You know, and and much like you know the gun control issue, uh, you know they're going to continue to take things away, legally owned property away from people, and the uh, the violent crime involving, you know, firearms and gangs is just going to, you know, continue uh, unabated. It's going to escalate yeah. in all we likelihood, can... and it's going to make for an easier sales pitch when they say, see, that we didn't go far enough. And I think the same is going to yeah. hold true with policing, is that the pendulum is going to swing so far to one side that the general public is going to turn around and say, you need to do something, you know, heavy-handed. you got to get this under control when it hits that point, and that's when... I think you're right about that. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. The, uh, certainly, we know very well that it's not a gun safety issue. So, no matter what you do about uh, you know restricting guns, it's not going to change anything. So each it's incremental. Each time one of these events happens, you say, "Well, we're not like you say, we're not doing enough. We have to do more," until you finally confiscate all the guns. And even then, the problem will not go away. It's true that probably fewer. Uh, uh, murders will be done with guns, but the murders will be done none, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, it, it won't be any more uh, uh, serious uh, or less serious. Um, you know, there was a, an incident in, I don't know, in, in uh, uh, England yeah. uh, where a man stabbed uh, three or four people to death. Yeah. Yep. And um, I, you know what? Uh, it's pretty hard to kill three or four people with a handgun. First of all, you make an awful lot of noise, and most most people who, when they pull the trigger, aren't going to hit anything. Uh, it's actually pretty difficult to kill somebody um, with a knife. You're right up there, and you can place it. I meant to say, it's it, it's as lethal. Ooh. I regard it as lethal. And you know what? What's next? You're going to confiscate all the knives. I don't, well, I don't think that it hasn't been thought of or tried. It, it's been it's been done in the UK, yeah. and I can tell you right now that uh, in my 20 years of policing experience, I had a lot of people uh, try and tell me that you know, well, he only had a knife, and and you know, it's very it's a very um, it's a very easy explanation. If you've ever seen, and I certainly have over the years, the wound tracked left 
by by a knife. When nice. when compared, well, first of all, knives don't need to be reloaded, and knives move as fast as hands do. And if you've ever been involved in a physical confrontation with somebody really motivated, let me tell you something: the hands move really fast. Yeah. And you know they say the eyes are the window of the soul, but <laughs> yeah. it's, they kill you with their hands. Like I mean, if you've ever seen what somebody can do with a knife, yeah. it's pretty horrific. And don't ever think for one second that somebody with a knife inside a ten feet can't carve you up like a pumpkin uh, pretty quickly. And it's it doesn't. Horrific. It's it, pretty horrific. It, it is. And yeah. don't think that knives aren't dangerous. They most certainly are. And yeah. when we look at the number of, you know, murders that occur in North America, uh, the bulk of them, you know, happen with blunt objects and knives. Well, I think, you know. You, behind all this, I mean, if you look at the macro level and look at the micro levels, you were saying, so at the, in the big picture, we know pretty well now, uh, most people who have studied history know that the best way to prevent war is to arm yourself to the teeth so that no one will mess with you. Uh, deterrence is everything. So if you're a pacifist, you want to have the greatest number of weapons. And that works at the micro level as well. I think probably the best bit of sociology done uh, oh, in the last, you know, 25 or 30 years was uh, a fellow who, uh, I think his name is Schott. Uh, <laughs> I'm an old guy, my memory slips a bit. Here I am saying it's the best piece of sociology and I can't remember his name. Anyways, um, it's called Morkan's Less, Less Crime. Yeah. And he, I think he proves quite quite uh, definitively. I mean, it's, it's with, you'd, you'd have to uh, deny that uh, one plus one equals two, uh, you know, to, to, to say that any of his research and conclusions are not true. The concealed carry permit holders in the United States are the most law-abiding people in the United States. The police commit more crimes than they do. That little piece of paper, the card, the concealed carry permit is so valuable that they obey, they obey the law so that they will not lose it. Yes. So the idea that you want to make society uh, safer, well, deterrence. Who's going to break into your house if they, are, if they have to worry about whether or not you have a gun and are permitted to use it? So in all instances, crime, this crime figures in, in, in areas with concealed carry permits went down, or violent crime anyways, went down uh, quite dram dramatically. And, and like I said, usually these statistics are pretty mm, stable. No, yeah. they went down very significantly. So no, no, I mean, it's, it, it, if, if you are wanting, truly want a solution to these problems, you are going to look at the numbers uh, and reason it out making an emotional appeal well that's the marxists do that that's their method that's how they operate um with this uh wuhan virus mm -hmm. this is an emotional appeal fear they make people so afraid to leave their homes it's the flu yeah uh, I mean, it, it may be a little bit more deadly, uh, yeah, or a little a, bit more virulent. Vicious strain, but still. It's a strain. It's probably yeah. mutating as, I believe, God only knows by now how many mutations there might be, mm -hmm. certainly more than a couple dozen, and uh, it, it might be that it's less virulent. I don't know. I don't trust a single number I get because I know, I know that the, the Chinese government lied. I know that 
uh, elements of the American government lied, and no, I don't trust any of it. All I know is that I'm a guy who should be dead ten times over by now because of this virus, and I'm not. Yeah, so the, the number, the numbers, the numbers are pretty clear, and uh, <clears throat> certainly the media does uh, does a great job of failing to uh, highlight. That the models have been completely wrong. The predictions were totally off. This thing, the the, the survival rate is over ninety eight percent. And you know, it, does it exist? Absolutely. You know, uh, are some people uh, a little bit more susceptible and uh, perhaps more at risk? You know, just like the flu. Just like, like the, the flu. flu. But well, they've managed to. They've managed though to, uh, you know. Get people frenzied up, you know, oh, in it's fear. Incredible. Yeah, like it's a wa- it's, it's it's frightening. The the but that's that's the method. Yeah. Uh, um, the the leftists have a method. The, the Soviets had as had as well. It was, I don't know. It was like a four step method. Uh, the the rules for radicals that was published during the '60s by Saul Alinsky. Alinsky. I think it's 13 rules. It's been a long time since I read it. But these are, you know, the method by which you undermine the society. And you look for these sort of events, mass shootings. In this case, uh, you know, there's there's a, a, a virus, and they, they, ha- they have literally succeeded in destroying uh, the greatest economy probably that ever existed on the face, non-war economy that ever existed uh, in history, mm-hmm. and they don't care. Uh, they'll do anything. They will do anything. I tell you, they will do anything. They 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 will destroy the economy. Uh, they don't. You know this thing about to uh, racism. They they latch on to this notion about racism. Uh, there's a, 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 a an organization called Black Lives Matter, which is man talk about a name. Wow, mm-hmm. that's a great brand. That's a fabulous brand. Uh, but the people who founded it are Marxists. Now, uh, uh, I, you know, without any reference to blacks, they're Marxists, and their program is Marxism. Uh, and they've they've they're, they're they've clothed themselves, they've shrouded themselves in this issue of racism. So you can't attack them unless you want to be called a racist. It's perfect. I mean, it's just it's a wonderful thing. They know it. Uh, the trouble is, it's not about black lives. It's about Marxism. They've declared it's about Marxism, um, and um, you know they're they're uh, part of another effort to undermine our society. Uh, and 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 that country music playing in the background is wonderful. Is that you? Is it Sam? <laughs> Sweet home Alabama. Sweet home, Sweet home, home Alabama. 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 Yeah, yeah. Was, we'll, we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll be canceled immediately. It was, <laughs> uh, it was not Sam. You know, it was not and Sam. And it was Sweet Home Alabama. That's yeah. nice. Sorry. I like that. No, no, no. Yeah. You know what? It wouldn't be a podcast without uh, some kind of small interruption and unforeseen well, we circumstances. Are, we are sitting out on a, on a beautiful uh, summer afternoon talking. Uh, Uh, You probably can hear the wind, uh, the breeze coming by on the microphone. It's a gorgeous day. It is. You know, we're we're up here at the Hamilton Gun Club. For those of you that haven't discovered, 
what I consider to be one of the finest uh, shotgun-loving experiences in southern Ontario. Uh, come on up to the Hamilton Gun Club. They got skeet, they got trap, they got sporting clay and five stand and some of the friendliest staff and membership I've ever come across. And as you know, mm-hmm. shotgun shooting is the most fun you can have with a firearm. <laughs> We're going to debate that one in another podcast. (laughs) So on that note, I see we're coming up on an hour, and I know we wanted to put a cap on this one. Unless, Coach Nick, you had something else. No, we're good. All right. Well, then you know what? I got to thank you, Danny, so much for joining us today, and I'm really hoping that you'll uh, do so again in the future. Oh, it'd be my pleasure. You know what? It was fantastic having you, buddy. Thank you so much. Catch me at the beginning of the day rather than at the end. I'm old guy. I, I I miss my nap time. You can you can keep up. You can keep up with the best of them. That I have no doubt. Coach Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, yeah. sir. All right, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube and on Instagram. And as always, Canada, don't forget to shoot straight. Stay safe.